Roy Sharples. Welcome to the Unknown Origins podcast. Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you seeking inspiration, an industry expert looking for insights, or growing your career? I created the Unknown Origins podcast to provide access to insights and content from creators worldwide with inspirational conversations and storytelling about art, architecture, design, entrepreneurship, fashion, film, music, and pop culture. Gareth Loden's interest is creativity, combining ideas from anthropology, psychology, engineering, and design and he has led international transdisciplinary research projects in academia and industry. Gareth is a professor of creativity and head of programs at the Royal College of Art for the MA MSc Innovation Design Engineering and MA MSc Global Innovation Design, which is run jointly with Imperial College London. Previously, Gareth was Associate Dean of Research at the Cardiff School of Art and Design. He has also worked for Apple and Ericsson Research in designing and developing new software and computer-embedded products. Gareth is a chartered engineer, a fellow of the Institution of Engineering and Technology and a fellow of the Higher Education Academy. Hello and welcome, Gareth. So what inspired and attracted you to innovation design in the first place? Well, I guess it crept up on me, really. I mean, I think as a kid, I've always, not that I would sort of think of it in that formal phrase, but I think in reality, I've always been interested in that world, you know, as as a kid growing up. So, you know, for example, I always loved making and creating stuff, whether that be physical art and crafts or, or drawing or uh, often in Wales we had what's called the nationalized Stedford so I was just trying to those competitions for art and craft and uh, I also used to do singing and music and stuff so creating in in the broader sense and uh, that was always a, a love and um, so I think that was naturally there but I guess balanced against that another thing that was always something I really enjoyed was was how things worked so I guess that's the more sort of engineer in me. And uh, I know I was sort of uh, annoyed my mum various times by disassembling stuff and not working out how to reassemble things and things like that. So, and yeah, that sort of um, sort of world growing up was always, always there and always important to me. And so I think I was always naturally attracted to innovation design, even though I wasn't aware of it. But I think as a sort of got older through to school. I mean, my, my main strength, I guess, in school was maths. And I, I loved solving problems, maths problems mainly, I guess. And um, yeah, I think I just got a sort of feel for sort of that space. And that sort of gradually morphed into innovation design, which maybe we can talk a bit more afterwards in, uh, um, in my career. But that's how I started out. And that's how I sort of, it was this combination of those things really that, that drove my interest initially in engineering, um, but it's very much around creativity and innovation in engineering. And it was only a bit later on that I sort of moved into, into that design space. Who, what, how, and why were you inspired and attracted you to the domain? When I was at an Apple, I was, I was doing purely techie stuff. But then as we had success in the technology research, um, they sent over a key designer, interaction designer from 
from the Cupertino headquarters to join us in Singapore. And he asked, he was the main person who convinced me to move from purely a techie-based um, world to this broader innovation design space. So that he was quite an important person in my sort of awareness of the importance of the topics that we've been talking about. What is your creative process, Gareth, in terms of how do you make the invisible visible by dreaming up ideas, developing them into concepts, and then bringing them to actualization? I don't probably follow a process and, and in any too strict a way, and I guess deliberately don't do that. But there's certainly definitely aspects that are important. So in my in my career, I've sometimes taken a very techy, experiment-driven approach um, to creativity. Certainly, in the early part of my career, that probably dominated the way I tackled creative process. And um, probably over the last twenty years or so, I've balanced that more with a more sort of human-centered design process um, and sort of being more human-need-driven. So, I guess my creative process is being recognizing that those both are important and uh and both can produce interesting results i mean i guess one thing from i guess from a techie side which is where i started from initially in my phd i guess in terms of really first time i did proper research was um you know i always had the sort of view that you know i'd often do a sort of review of what's the current approach to a problem and Obviously, if that problem hadn't been solved, I guess my first strategy, I remember thinking quite clearly at my PhD was, well, if that's how they're doing it and it's not working, then obviously I need to take a different approach. So I, I tended not to follow the crowd. And that was always a sort of strategy that I had in terms of then looking to different disciplines. So even in my PhD, it was in biomedical engineering. I deliberately started reading around sort of social science type approaches to give me ideas how to analyze signals and datas in different ways. So that's a simple example, I guess, of um, something I did quite early on. And, and, and I sort of followed that a little bit um, in my career and in other things. You know, I worked at Apple in the 90s at Apple ISS Research Center in Singapore, looking at Chinese speech and handwriting, handwriting recognition and um, similar approach for the handwriting recognition that everybody was tackling it in a similar way. And I thought, you know, I need to take a different approach because they weren't solving the problem and uh, and had a lot of success with that. So that always been a sort of philosophy and a sort of element I, I've got to sort of come up with new ideas, new concepts, and then, you know, translate those into to solutions. So, but yeah, in, in, in more recent years, and in fact, at my time at Apple, I started then working with designers my first time this was in about 95 and uh yeah then i got really sort of insights into the role of design and design ways of thinking and sort of more social science and anthropology and these types of skills got i got exposed to and and i realized how powerful they were for generating new ideas too so in the late 90s i worked for ericsson and we really had a sort of mixture of design anthropology and a sort of technical team um, that, that I led um, to look at new ideas. And it was really that mix. So again, it was still bringing that techie roots that I had, but really bringing it. And, and I was blown away when I went out with anthropologists on field studies. It blew my mind, the ideas that were being generated um, in that type of space, combined with sort of my knowledge of new tech that we could do. 
that combination really sort of made me very excited. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not an over fan. I guess coming back to your broad question of um, being too rigid on a process, and you know, I know there's various design processes out there, human-centered design, and I'm very familiar with them, and I use them quite a lot themselves. But I'm also I don't want people to follow them blindly. I think that, uh, you know, that creativity and play and that experimentation that could just come from that love and interest could be the spark for it too. Um, and of course, purpose is a, is a, is a huge driver of, of creativity because it makes you pay attention. So, so I, over the last few years, um, I created my own model, which I call the LCD model. Um, and it's idea that you can do all those different things. So you can move through that creative space and that, that those creative processes in the looser sense of the term in different ways, in a quite sort of, um, non-linear dynamic way, in a spontaneous way. Um, but I guess the other key factor that, that I felt in that model that I, that I proposed was that it's not just that those processes that are important, but it's your sort of state of mind or state of being, uh, with which you link with those processes is absolutely cruel. So you're not going to dream up ideas just by following a process. So it's your your attitude, your mindset, um, your sense of purpose and leadership, those types of things, as well as that interdisciplinary collaboration that I've hinted at, um, to me, is key. So, 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 so I guess, even though I came from the techie world, I guess my big sort of understanding of the creative process to do that whole um, sort of route from ideas through to actualization, you know, really does need that interdisciplinary approach. There's usually not one discipline that can do all that or to do it to a high level. So this mixture of arts and sciences to me is, is very important. For sure. Every creative will tell you there is no on and off button for creativity. It is a constant that happens naturally by design or by accident in our everyday lives. Though the creative process may seem magical, especially where ideas can come from and how they are brought to form in life, there are proven techniques, tools, methods, frameworks, and approaches to both the art and science of applied creativity that make it happen. But it does not mean being fooled into believing that it is simply about following a process and expecting creative results as an outcome. It is all about people and the execution because people with a vision combined with a passion and drive make things happen. There's multiple points you made within that as well, Gareth, and I'll pull a few of them out that really resonated, especially around um, the application of anthropological and ethnographical techniques and tools to help observe and understand people's behaviors in their natural situations to capture what they actually do. And this approach can help us understand cultural trends and lifestyle factors through context, norms, routine, and daily life habits within communities and societies, ultimately informing organizations about social context that influences their product creation and marketing process by informing the design, positioning, messaging, and packaging. What are the key skills needed to survive and thrive as an innovation designer? Uh, resilience, I guess the first one comes, <laughs> comes to mind. Um, I think curiosity probably is, is the most important one and this, you know, and, and understanding what matters to you and, uh, uh, 
and what contribution you can make and, uh, you know, where, where you want to make a difference. I think, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, David Bohm, the famous quantum physicist talks about in his book on creativity, talks about attention, uh, awareness and sensitivity, you know, and, um, that links the sort of curiosity I just mentioned, the sort of willingness to always look at things and, um, uh, always wanting to learn, you know, and being playful and disruptive. These types of things are, are very important. I guess this is sort of some of the points I was, I was making earlier, but also then that sort of analytical and that thoroughness and that, um, you know, that quality of work, um, to me is very important too, because, you know, to me, it is that mixture of perhaps that more sort of classical analytical skills combined with that creative skills. And, and those combination, I think, is probably allows you to survive and thrive. I mean, I, I guess then linking back to this that thing I mentioned earlier about arts and sciences. And, you know, I don't think any one discipline can do this. So, so that respect for others from different disciplines is also absolutely crucial uh, and often I don't see that enough so I think that I mean I see it amongst innovation designers I would say I think that's pretty core skill there but more broadly I think that's not as common so yeah and I guess if you're going to be uh, doing something new something different uh, and going against the crowd sometimes um, you've got to be brave too so uh, I guess those are the things that spring to mind uh, in terms of uh, key skills to sort of survive and thrive as an innovation designer not going against the crowd if you follow the crowd you'll never get further than them purpose and passion drive innovators to improve the world in the pursuit of greatness remember that you don't need permission from anyone in the spirit of muhammad ali impossible is nothing he was a beacon and signpost for change who shook up society, especially in America, during the civil rights movement, rejecting what he termed his slave name, Cassius Clay, converting to Islam and refusing military service to go to war with Vietnam, a sacrifice that cost him the heavyweight championship and a ban from boxing at the pinnacle of his career. And this was during a conservative time in history these were courageous actions to take a moral stand that helped push society forward. Even after Ali's organs had stopped, laid to rest on his deathbed, his heart continued to beat for another 30 minutes, which is scientifically unheard of, and a further justification that the heart is the soul. As you reflect back upon your life and career to date, what are your lessons learned in terms of the pitfalls to avoid and the keys to success that you can share with existing and also aspiring innovation designers? It's not a race, I guess, is the first thing. So, um, you know, in, enjoy, enjoy that life and don't try and force it to be something. Um, let, let, it, let it unfold, I think, for, for me, was a key lesson for my life. I mean, I started out, you know, even though I talked about my early life in terms of my interest in terms of my career, I saw myself as an engineer and signal processing pattern recognition being my core skills. And I didn't really see much beyond that. I didn't really see myself as a sort of, um, you know, innovation designer in, in, in that sort of formal sense. Um, but, you know, I, I also had my antenna up. I'm, I was always looking for 
you know, I was aware of what was happening around me more broadly, I guess, in terms of trends and opportunities. I was aware of what interested me, what excited me um, at that time. And that changes. So what I was, you know, my sense of purpose is, is not a fixed thing, but I was always paying attention to what, what I wanted to do at a certain time. So um, I was open to new directions. And when new opportunities came along and presented themselves, then I usually went for it and, and took those. So, um, uh, you know, life involves in, in surprising ways. And I think allowing that to happen and not be overly strategic, I think is, it would be my sort of reflections on, on my successes, um, in terms of specific approaches, but also more broadly. I mean, I'm very happy where I am now. And that wouldn't have come about, I guess, in terms of my work in innovation design, if I hadn't allowed myself to move. So, so for example, I, I became quite successful in handwriting recognition technology and in, in Chinese and Japanese languages in particular. So it could have been very easy for me to stay in that world and stay the expert for a long period of time, but that didn't appeal to me. And, and then I wanted to move into this more broader innovation design space. So um, I sort of stepped away from where, where I was good to something that maybe I wasn't as good initially, but that allowed me to sort of develop. So those types of things I think would be my reflections on sort of, um, you know, being successful in innovation design, as well as all the other things I've talked about earlier in terms of those sort of skills. Yeah. In terms of pitfalls, um, I mean, I talked about not being too process driven. I think that's quite important. Um, and also being aware of your own state of being, I think is very important. So paying attention to yourself um, and those signals that are coming through to you of what you want to do and, uh, and not necessarily following the crowd. So I'm always, always questioning and reflecting on things. Um, it's going to help you in your career. That would be my thought. And working hard, obviously. What you do is shaped by the values and attitudes, internal and external to the world you live in, the people you engage with, and the activities you do. To achieve self-actualization and ultimately happiness in life, it is important to keep moving forward and experimenting with and trying out new experiences by maintaining a modern mindset and having a global and holistic view, which will help you solve problems with an open mind, overcoming prejudice and having more diverse and better ideas. Because when you lose touch with, its, with your creativity, it be, you become insulated and imprisoned and can become closed-minded oppressed and lost in time and life. So navigating into the future, Gareth, what's your vision for the future of innovation design and the role of creativity? I think creativity needs to be central more to um, you know, the future. Of, you know, we've got all these, these, these problems we need to tackle in the world. There's so many complex problems. And, and to me, they are really beyond anyone discipline in solving these problems so this interdisciplinarity to me is is crucial and creativity is part of that they talked about the art sciences before and and i think that's that's so important and there's a lot of research showing how creativity links to well-being as well so um if you're doing you know one of the most common uh she sent me a higher is one of famous sort of um research on creativity and looked at one of the most common factors across successful um people in, in this space and it was they, they're doing what they love 
you know, so, and that's good for your happiness. You did a lot of study on happiness. So there's a strong link between creativity and, and happiness. So I think that is important in its own right. That's coming back to me being as a kid and loving making and taking things apart. It's just naturally what we want to do. And um, so I think we need to encourage that more structurally in society. And that goes straight to the sort of curriculum and schools. Um, I think the structure that in many countries, which is driven certainly from sort of the age 11 onwards, is becoming quite discipline specific, where you learn just maths or physics or chemistry or arts or design or history all in isolation, I think is um, is not the way to go forward. And creativity comes by looking at these problems more holistically and taking a more holistic approach and therefore understanding the importance of these range of skills is critical if we want to be more creative and, and, and make innovation design more powerful and more effective in the world. So I've, I've done uh, some work back in Wales over the last few years. Uh, there's a new curriculum for Wales coming out. In fact, it comes out, uh, I think, in September. And it's actually for ages four to 18. Um, and uh, it's quite interesting because it has really changed the structure of the curriculum and uh, put creativity quite at its heart and this more interdisciplinary project-based approach. And I, and I think curriculums around the world need to sort of move into this, this mode more generally because then I think then we will create the next generation uh, of people with more naturally those skills. Um, you know, what, what frustrates me at the moment, I mean, I'm a techie and I'm, I'm very STEM-based, you know, science, technology, engineering, maths type uh, background, and I'm obviously very pro it, but it doesn't mean I'm anti-arts and humanities or design. In fact, I'm very pro that too. And we need to have a strategy, the governmental level, which comes through to the curriculum, comes through an attitude of businesses and people in general, that if we're going to succeed, we need to recognize both are absolutely crucial. And we're not going to solve these technical problems that are often human-centered by just looking at technology or science. So... Um, that's my, my wish and my vision is that the curriculums change. There's a change of mindset and a respect and, and a support for the arts and design as well as the sciences and technology. So we can really make a difference. So, so we need therefore leaders with that mindset and that understanding. Um, I mean, we've had that in the past. Steve Jobs, I think is a perfect example of that where he has had that broader understanding and, and made major shifts in. In, in, in the way, you know, the products and services are created, but also the way yeah, more broadly how we can do um, innovation design and creativity. So we need to see more of that. And I think that comes from a sort of structure that would support that more readily rather than having the rebels like Steve of having to do it all on them by themselves. Education is the key to success. And this means modernizing an education system that instills creativity as a core discipline at the grassroots and is nurtured throughout the educational system, which recognizes intelligence as being multifaceted and embracing emotional and social intelligence, critical thinking, and practical problem solving that integrates science, arts, and humanities as equal parts of the learning jigsaw that encourages learning that zigzags across disciplines and domains with continuous learning pathways that are open to anyone willing to invest effort and time to advance their knowledge, values, and skills. The 
you want to learn more about how to create without frontiers, then consider getting Creativity Without Frontiers. How to make the invisible visible by lighting the way into the future. It's available in print, digital and audio on all relevant book platforms. You have been listening to the Unknown Origins podcast. Please follow, subscribe, rate and review us. For more information, go to unknownorigins.com. Thank you for listening.